Please, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We've been in a series entitled The Work of the Holy Spirit in the Life of Jesus. And we've been, as a congregation, operating off one simple principle, and it is this. If Jesus Christ, who is perfect in every way, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, if he needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? How much more do we? Let that sink in for a moment. Jan Demchor was a creature of habit. Every morning, he woke up, he went to work, put in about two, two and a half hours, get a break for about 30 minutes, and then he would take the elevator back up to his next assignment. This particular day, after his break, he took the elevator with five other men. As they were going up the elevator, the elevator came to a stop, shook violently, and began to descend. One of the men were quick thinking, and they hit the emergency brake and came to a violent stop. Immediately, the elevator that they were in began to fill with smoke, and they had no idea what was going on. uh, Jan Demcher immediately sprang into action. He opened the elevator doors, pried it open, and what they saw before them was sheetrock. They didn't know how thick it was. They didn't know what was behind it. But immediately, they began to claw away at it with a pocket knife. As Jan began to claw away at it, the knife fell. And everyone in the elevator became despaired. Again, Jan was undeterred. He grabbed um, a squeegee, at least the end of the squeegee, and began to hack away at the sheetrock. After about an hour choking on smoke, they broke through a uh, men's bathroom underneath. They crawled through a crawl space and made it outside the building. Shortly after that, the North Tower fell. It was the second one that fell. Now we hear stories like this, and we are inspired. These are the stories that people write about. In the midst of tremendous difficulty, the smoke, the sheetrock, not having the proper tools, Jan Demcher persevered. He kept the faith. He had a wife and children that he was thinking about, and he pushed through. These are the stories that we hear. The stories that don't get written by our society are the stories of people who cower in fear. People who, in the midst of very difficult circumstances, panic. People in the midst of very difficult circumstances give up. These are the stories we don't hear, except if you're God. 
Because God records stories of people who are in the midst of tremendous fear and panic. God records stories of people who go from being frightened to fearless, who move from panic to praise, and who move from fear to faith. And to be honest, this is my story. To be more honest, this is your story. In the story that's before us, we see the Holy Spirit giving us two pictures. One of someone who is mature in faith, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that even within the midst of a storm, he is asleep. And then we get a picture of a group of men whose faith is in process. I want us to look at this story today and glean lessons in our we could apply in our life about how we can rest in the midst of the storm. Notice now with me Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Let us read God's word together. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you record stories of people in transition in their faith, of weak faith, of imperfect faith. And now, Holy Spirit, come, enliven our hearts and our minds. Bring us, those of imperfect fate, into a more full reality of what you would have us to do, which is rest in you. Help us to see it in the example of our most precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. This morning, I want us to examine from this text one statement and two sets of questions. The first statement, of course, is found in verse number 35. It says, let us go across to the other side. Bound up in this statement is a statement of faith. Everything that the disciples are about to experience is a test of faith and bringing them to faith. Now, the Bible tells us what faith is. Hebrews 12, 1. 
Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Bound up in that text of faith, we see two things, assurance in someone and conviction in what that person has said. And so for you and I, as God's people, we see faith isn't, our faith isn't irrational. We don't make leaps of faith. No, our faith is very rational because the word of God tells us that our faith is in someone and we have a conviction that what that someone says is true and therefore we'll follow it. And by the way, everyone exercises faith. Each and every person in this room has an assurance in someone or something. And each and every one of us in this room have a conviction about that someone or that thing. And so when Jesus says to them, let us go across to the other side, notice what he's saying. First of all, the first part of that verse says, let us go, meaning all the people of faith, all the ones that are following him. Now, if you look at the synoptic gospels, in other words, all the other gospel accounts, Right before they went into the boat, three men had already come to Jesus and failed the test of faith. One was a scribe, and that scribe came to Jesus and said, Master, we, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, look, buddy, I don't have a place to lay down. I don't have a place to sleep. I have nowhere for you to come and dwell safely. And so he leaves. And then somebody else comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you wait, please? I have to bury a relative. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. And then a third man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I have to go and talk to my uh, loved ones and let them know where I'm going. And Jesus says, you know what? Anyone that puts their hand to the plow, they just need to keep going. And so the disciples have already seen three of the, of the other disciples leave, these people that were following Jesus. They had already failed the test of faith. And now they themselves are about to engage in an epic test of faith, the test of the storm. Now, what's significant about this statement in verse 35 is not only does Jesus say, let us all go, but bound up in it is a promise. And the promise is this, we will make it to the other side. As sure as I am telling you on these shores, let us go to the other side. We will make it to the other side. And so they have everything they need to exercise faith. They have the person of Jesus and they have the conviction in his word. Now look at the rest of the text, beginning at verse number 36. The word of God says that now there are Having left the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and others were with them in the boat. Mark is setting the scene here for us to say that they were at the end of a very long day. Everyone was tired. Everyone had reached the end of their rope. And they had come to a place where, you know, whenever you get tired, what happens? You start to get a little bit irritable as sharp as you used to be. And so now they have to row across to the other side. Now, the very next verse tells us that a great storm arose, verse number 37, and a great 
windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. The word of God says a great storm arose, meaning a mega storm, a mega storm of wind, a mega storm of waves. Now, storms were not unusual in that area. In fact, the Sea of Galilee was about 700 feet below sea level, and just off to the north was Mount Hermon, that was about 9,200 feet high. And as these cold winds would come off the mountain and hit uh, the lower level, they would create massive storms. So these storms were not unusual. But these storms were unusual for these fishermen. Because again, the word of God says that this was a great storm. And if you read the rest of the text in verse number 37, we see that the boat began to fill up with water. And they were constantly trying to bail out the water. Now keep in mind, this boat was about 26 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and about 4.5 feet deep, just enough to hold about 15 people. And as you read this narrative, I want to tell you that the point of the narrative isn't the circumstances that they found themselves in. The whole point of the narrative is to create a situation in which we are told that they were unable to deal with the circumstances before them. And let me pause here and say this. Each and every one of us will come to a point in our lives where there will be circumstances that are far beyond us. And that's why faith is important. Because when we hit these circumstances that are far beyond us, it is required that we exercise faith in Christ and in what he says. So notice now the second statement. After the storm begins to come in, after they begin to bail out and these experienced fishermen realize that they have nothing, uh, they can't uh, solve this problem on their own, notice verse number 38. But he was in the cern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now at the beginning of verse number 38, notice there's this picture of Jesus asleep on a cushion. He's asleep in the midst of a mega storm. You think about that for a moment. Jesus knows that he isn't going to die in this storm. He knows that nothing is going to happen to him in the storm. Why does Jesus know that nothing is going to happen to him in the storm? Because he knows how he's going to die. He knows that he's not going to die in a storm. He knows that he's not going to die by stoning. He knows that he's going to die on the cross. And when you know how your story ends, guess what you don't do? Fear. All of us inside here today that name the name of Christ knows what the Bible says. If you know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and you know that the suffering of this life is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed, and if you know that we are promised a new heavens and a new earth, if we truly know that, then it doesn't matter the storms that life sends at us. Like Jesus, we'll be the picture of faith in the midst of the storm. 
Beloved, during this COVID season, God's people should be a picture of faith in the midst of the storm. During this election season, with all of this social upheaval, God's people should know and be a picture of absolute faith in the midst of the storm. But the disciples were not. Again, notice in verse number 38, they said this, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, first of all, don't you find it ironic that a group of fishermen are going to a carpenter asking him for advice in the midst of a storm? The equivalent of that will be me asking Russ Lynch uh, or Russ Lynch asking me uh, how to fix or how to take care of uh, some woodworking material. It's just not going to happen, right? I know nothing about woodwork. And here it is that these fishermen are asking a carpenter about life in a storm, in the midst of an awful storm. Why are you think, well, why do you think they're asking this question? I personally believe that this is the point of the narrative, then they begin to realize that he's more than just a carpenter. He's more than just a carpenter. And so if you look at their question, their question indicates that they understood that he was more than just a carpenter. They came to him and they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, here's what the disciples are assuming. The disciples are assuming that, listen, if Jesus truly loved them, if Jesus truly cared about them, then they wouldn't be going through this. That's the assumption in this text. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What are they saying? Jesus, if you truly cared about us, we would not be suffering like this. And you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, how do you know that just from this statement? Well, notice the statement, not care. Do you not care about us? The the word is typically used in a negative to indicate that a person has no regard or concern for the other person. So in the other words, his disciples are saying, Lord, have you no regard for us? Do we not matter to you? Are we even little blips on your radar? Not only do they think that Jesus doesn't care about them, they think he is comfortable with their suffering. After all, he's asleep in the boat. Notice with me in their question, they said, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, most of us that know the English language, we tends to be inclusive. Don't you care that all of us, we are suffering? But here it is not inclusive. Here it is very exclusive. Here's what the disciples are saying. Master, don't you care that we in the boat are about to perish? They don't care anything about the people around them. They only care about the ones that are in the boat. In the midst of this storm, they are acting very selfish. All they see is themselves, and they think that Jesus doesn't care for them. You know, it's been my experience in life that most people that leave Christianity leave Christianity because they feel that God is indifferent to their suffering. I worked at a a UWF, which was a, a college in Pensacola, 
and I worked student ministries, and the majority of the students that we met there, all of them that left the faith, left the faith because of suffering. They were suffering, and they think that God was not involved in their suffering. And let me ask you a question. Is that you today? Do you feel that God is indifferent to your suffering? Or do you know someone who might be leaving the faith now because God is indifferent to their suffering? You know, there's a great irony when Christians leave the faith because they feel like God is indifferent to their suffering. Because in one sense, they leave a God who they claim is indifferent to their suffering to embrace a world that is even more indifferent to their suffering. A world of brute force that is cold and emotionless. A world that offers no love and no hope. It reminds me of when I was in college, you would have all of these college students say, I can't wait to get from underneath my parents' authority. I can't wait until I leave the house so I can make my own decisions and do my own thing. And then the next thing you hear, they join the army. <laughs> See, beloved, um, one of the things that you need to understand about Christianity and about God and about the nature of faith it's that even in the midst of our storm, we have a God that loves us and cares for us deeply. And if you leave the faith to go into a world, you have to know, someone has to remind you that this world is a brute force. It's cold. It's, emotional, it's uh, emotionless. That it offers no love and no hope. That's the reality that you face, and that's the reality and the choice that these disciples face. But even though they thought that Jesus was indifferent to their suffering, notice later on in the text, in verse number 39, the Bible says, And he woke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. In other words, there was a mega calm. The wind completely stopped, and the water completely was still. That's what Christ did for them, even in the midst of their unbelief. Now, notice right after that, a next set of statements. Jesus looks at them, verse number 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In this moment, Jesus is profoundly grieved. And the reason why Jesus is profoundly grieved is because he's looking at them and saying, have you not been with me long enough? Have you not heard my teaching? Are you still oblivious to who I am? Remember, this is toward the tail end of his Galilean ministry. His disciples have been with him this whole time. They've watched him turn water into wine, heal a demon-possessed man, heal Peter's mother and many others in one evening. They've watched him cleanse a leper, heal a paralytic, and heal a man with a withered hand. They've heard his teaching about his lordship and his authority and his power. 
They have heard his prayers and their faith, and Jesus is looking at them and saying, do you still not see who I am? Do you still not know the Old Testament? I am he who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. Or Psalm 88, 89.9, I am he that rules the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Or Psalm 107.28, Then they cried to the Lord in their troubles, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Jesus is looking at them and saying, Have you not seen enough to trust me even in the midst of the storm? Let me ask you this question. Have you not seen enough? What else do you need to see about the Lord to be able to trust him in the midst of your storm? What else does he have to do? Jesus was rightly grieved. And us parents know why. For most of us, our children believe that we are their parents, right? They call us mother and they call us father. They believe who we are. But is it often the case that our children don't believe our words? Eat your vegetables. Brush your teeth. Read your book more than you watch television. As a parent, I marvel that my children love me and know me, but yet at the same time, they don't always listen to my words. Beloved, the same is true for us of faith. We might believe God, but we often don't believe in God. We don't believe his words. Jesus told them, you will go to the other side. That was the promise. And they did not lay hold of that promise. They panicked. And it grieved him. Because they were with him this whole time. They experienced all that he had to offer. And yet still, they didn't exercise faith. Notice with me in verse number 41. The Bible says that after Jesus had ceased this great storm, and now there was great calm, notice in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Do you find it interesting that they were fearing during the storm, and now they're fearing after the storm? Well, That's two kinds of fear. The fear after the storm is the fear that they were supposed to exhibit during the storm. And that's a fear in Christ. Our very own Brad Voiles, um, Dean Voiles, to those that that go to Covenant, wrote a devotional several uh, months ago during um, COVID and when during the lockdown. And I think he sums up well verse number 41. Brad wrote this. He says, we are daily called to die to our small F fears of the world. 
But at the same time, Scripture clearly calls us to a capital F fear of the Lord based upon his mighty power, covenant faithfulness, and eternal unchanging attributes. In both cases, it is the grace of God which empowers us, his people. And Brad is so true. Every day we are called to put to death our small F fears of this world and put on the capital fear of the Lord. And the way we do that is through faith. We trade one fear for the other, and it produces our faith. And the blessing of this story is actually not seen until Acts chapter 1 and 2. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he's raised again. Um, he, he, the resurrection, after the resurrection, he said that he now has power. And this power he will give to his people in the form of the Holy Spirit. In which now we move from being fearful to fearless. And notice these same disciples who were fearful in the boat. These same disciples who were overcome with fear in the midst of this storm, by the time Acts 2 happens, these are the same men who are preaching boldly in the power of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Beloved, you and I are on a journey of faith. And I know that there are times in our lives when we are fearful. There are times in our lives when we do want to give up. But I want to encourage you that your story has not ended. And that by the power of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he has promised to give us everything that we need to move from fear to radical faith if we but trust in him. Let us go before our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much as we see these disciples fearing we could see that the journey of faith has not ended. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you that even though we are fearful at times, you bring us into faith. Father, bless us, your people. We need it. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit that we might rest comfortably in you. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.